Let's, um, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then let's dive into 1 Kings chapter 14. God, I want to thank you so much for the privilege of being able to be here and to get in your word. And I pray your word would burst open and come alive and just take us, Lord, and captivate us. And may we have so much fun in your word tonight, God, I pray. And and Lord, you tell us that as the snow falls down to the ground and does not rise up again without watering the ground it lands on, causing it to bud and flourish, bringing bread to the sower or to seed to the sower and bread to the one who eats. So is your word. It never returns empty. So God, as your word goes forth, minister to us, even in this chapter, as we start to look at the nonsense of of kings in a divided kingdom, Lord, show us how that can be us and our own divided hearts if we're not careful. And Lord, I pray that as we seek this, Lord, reveal your son, Father, in this text. And let us, Lord, get your word, whether we are experts or we think we're experts in your word or whether we had no idea there were books called kings at all. Lord, I pray that today we would get it and we would get it right. So Lord, just speak to us now and minister, I pray. Redeem every second in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say tonight, is that would any please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures and let the Bible always be your authority because there will always be reason to test everything and scripture tells me to. Now, with that in mind, let me kind of fill you in on where we are. Uh, if you've ever heard of the three kings, because there's a whole tradition in regards to Jesus' birth, though it never says three, it just says plural. There are three kings of a united empire. David, by the way, is the second of those. A guy named Saul is first. He's replaced by David. And David is ultimately replaced by his son, Solomon. Uh, Solomon, by the way, unfortunately, and it tells us, we're told in Galatians, by the way, do not be deceived. That's a great place to start anything. Literally, by the way, often when you read do not, often the tense is often like stop being. Don't be this anymore. And he's saying, stop being deceived by this. You reap what you sow. And the idea of it's simple. If you reap to the flesh, you're going to sow corruption. And the idea is no matter where it is and whether you think that, that what you're doing is private and alone, you never sin in a vacuum. No matter what happens, it's going to bear forth fruit. And just praying God bear forth fruit could be a very dangerous thing if what you've been planting is awful. But on the other side of it, He says that if you actually plant to the Spirit, if you sow to the Spirit, you will indeed indeed reap everlasting life. And you have a choice. You're going to farm whether you like it or not. And I'm a city boy. So the idea of farming, I get the concepts. I've just for the first time in my life, I mean, we are in England, so we got this cute little place in Greenwich. One of the reasons we have a study starting. And... Uh, it has a garden in the back, and I've never never gotten my hands dirty like this. And I'm just like, we, I mean, we got there, and everything was like hip high, and it was like you need to come at it with a machete, you know. And it was this long little, and basically, it was, it's basically about the 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 distance that we have here, where you're sitting, is basically our garden as far as the size. And uh, when we started pulling it out and I started pulling out the back, we realized there's a Roman road back there. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. So we put a swing there. And I mean, anyways, it's the whole point of it is, is that I'm learning a lot. I'm going, and every time I'm pulling things up, I'm going, wow, whoever planted these is a jerk, you know, because <laughs> some of this stuff is really awful. And then we have rose bushes there that have trunks like this. They've clearly been planted a long time ago. And I don't know what, you, no matter what you do, if you backed a lorry into the thing, it's still going to give you flowers, which is really cool. 
I'm very thankful for that. And in the same way, Solomon has been sowing. And what he's been sowing is, he's been sowing a divided heart. As he, was in, as he was sowing a divided heart for what it's worth, back in 1 Kings 11, just a timestamp, we're roughly at about a millennium before Christ. The 900s BC is where we're at. And in those 900s BC, there was a prophet that came, by the way, to Solomon and ultimately came to his commander. And his commander's name is Jeroboam with a J. We say it with a Y in Hebrew, like Jesus would be Jesus or Yehoshua. Well, this Jeroboam guy, this Ahia, comes to him and he says this in, in, in 11, uh, 1 Kings 11, verse 39. It shall be, if you heed all that I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight and keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, well then I will build for you an enduring house as I built for David. And I will give Israel to you and I will afflict the descendants of David because of you, but not forever. And he said, because Solomon's heart is divided, I'm ripping out of Solomon's product, his legacy, 10 of those 12 tribes, and they're going to go to you now. And this guy was a commander over, in essence, over a workforce. So imagine, he, went, you know, he kind of woke up that morning, basically being the foreman of a project, and then he went to sleep that night with this promise that 10 tribes were going to actually be following his command. Well, now we're at the point where that started to happen. Here's the problem. Well, there's a several, and here's, here's the first of them. First of all, Solomon has a son named Rehoboam, so that makes things really confusing. So we have Rehoboam and Jeroboam, right? And now they're going to start having all of these sons and kings and so forth. So I tried to do this to try to help you out, because I'm big on the word, but being big on the word, I want to make sure that uh, you can kind of follow along a little bit. So do you guys see these things? And I'll kind of help you walk through this for a quick moment. Can you pull that out and take a look at that? Because the idea of being a student of the word, I want to make sure I get it. On the left-hand side, all of that is the lineage. That's, that's the southern tribe of Judah. In other words, David's lineage. From Solomon to his son, Rehoboam. Do you see that Rehoboam there to the left at the top? Okay, well, that's Solomon's son. Every time you see a black arrow, that just means he had a son, and this is what it was. Now, if you look on the right-hand side, do you see the Jeroboam with a J? See that kind of tucked away? Everyone get that nod if you're still alive and you see it. Okay. You're barely nodding. That's concerning me. Well, basically, every time you see something that's a red arrow, that means something bad kind of happened. So let me give you an idea. Follow the right-hand side for a moment. Jeroboam has a son named Nadav. Can you follow me on that? Nadav is murdered by a guy named Baasha. Baasha has a son named Elah. Elah was murdered by a guy named Zimri. S means he committed suicide. And then was taken over by a guy named Omri, who has a couple kids, Ahia, and one's named Yoram, who was murdered by Yehu. By the way, I don't know. Something a little concerning about a guy killing you, and his name is Yehu. He has a son who has a son who has a son who has a son who was murdered by Shalom. You get the idea. That's kind of how this plays out. There's your history. Now, imagine if we did this for the English kings. We kind of have something fairly similar back when, by the way. Now, you can keep this, and so what happens when we start going through the text, you can refer to this and go, okay, we're talking about that guy. We're talking about that guy. That's the idea. Now, this Yeroboam was promised. If he could just follow the Lord and he would obey, God has this tremendous promise for him to give him a legacy. And that legacy, by the way, was only going to be obedience. Now, understand this. It's not like if you do something, God will. And there's the danger, and that's, by the way, every other religion. Is the idea. If you could just do it, maybe God will respond. But Scripture says God does all the work and He's asking you to respond. There's the danger. Faith isn't moving God's hand. In essence, it's opening your hands for God to put in Him what He already has in His. There's the danger. 
And so God's like, if you trust me, you'll open your hands and I'll give you the best. And he goes, but for that to happen, I need you to trust me and I need you to follow me. If you're not going to follow me, I'm not going to bless you because God does not want to bless your mess. That's kind of the idea here. Now with that, Jeroboam, on the other hand, kind of looks and goes, mm, I don't know, I'm kind of nervous. I got the ten northern tribes, but they have to go to Jerusalem three times a year for a feast. And then they'll be like, oh, the good old days. And then they'll jump ship and they'll kill me. Even though God had promised them totally the opposite. So what does he do? He gives them a replacement, gives them cows. Because after all, don't you just feel safe around a gold cow? You know, it's like we could have the infinite, immeasurable God that is almighty, or we could have a gold cow. And, but to make it a little easier, but it's easier to get to, and it's tangible, and you can touch it and smell it. It's, it's a gold cow. And up in the north, he puts one in the far north in Dan, and one in the south of the northern kingdom. I mean, think of it this way. Scotland basically is kind of the north, except they have more land in this. And, and there, you know, there they are, and they've got their cows way up you know, in the highlands in one, and then down just north of, you know, of Newcastle, where everybody you know, does weird things for Google. And... And on the south, then we've got these King Solomon's son, Rehoboam. And God's not happy with the fact that he, he, by the way, can I just say this? God hates being replaced. That is huge to him. And you go, well, man, God speaks so highly of David. And David was a murderer and he was an adulterer. In essence, he was basically one big, fat, nasty jerk. And we can agree he was. But he never swapped God's. Now, that's no license to act like David was in those situations, but it is important to know what God prioritizes. Now, as quick as we would be to throw a stone at David's life, there's a comfort to know that as human as I am and the sins that I may even still deal with and so forth, it is still a comfort to know that there is a key and that is to never swap gods and to keep running back to the Lord. Please keep running back to the Lord. And Proverbs tells us a righteous man may fall, but he will even seven times, but he will get up again, but the wicked fall by calamity. The idea is they fall and they just, they've fallen and they can't get up. There's the idea. I mean, if you think about what separates Peter from Judas, I mean, Judas never denied that he knew Jesus. Judas never called a curse on himself. Peter did. Do you realize the third time when it says he swore, it wasn't like he just started cussing because somehow they would think, well, then clearly that guy's not a Christian because look at he's talking like that. Anathem is the word. And what it means is, if I am lying, may I rot in hell. That's what he's saying. Imagine that. Peter says that, not Judas. So what makes Judas so different from Peter? It wasn't that they did in sin. It's what they did with it. In the end of it all, Judas took his sin in his own hands. And Peter did, ultimately, what John tells us in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So now God has to deal with this. Now, 1 Kings chapter 14. It says this, At that time, Abiah, the son of Jeroboam, became sick. Stop. First of all, Jeroboam, again, I remind you, is the commander. Ten tribes in the north. You can see that on your little cute thing on the right-hand side. He's got a son. What's his son's name? Abiyah. Can you see that? Do you see that in verse 1? I can't lose you yet. We're in verse 1 here. right? Abiyah, by the way, means my dad is God. Think that one through for a second. Who names their kid my dad is God? Well, you get the idea. Now, it gets better. Well, as it is, my God is dad, or my dad is God, became sick. 
Verse 2, Jeroboam says to his wife, Please arise and disguise yourself, that they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam, and go to Shiloh. Indeed, Ahia the prophet is there, who told me that I would be king over the people. Stop. Think that one through. This guy has a direct line to God. He has insight from God himself, and you're going to disguise yourself? And somehow, let's face it, if this guy doesn't recognize you're trying to pull one on him, he's no prophet worth inquiring from in the first place. You know, what's weird is how many times people do this in Scripture, and they think somehow they are convinced they're going to get away with it. Now, this speaks volumes, but before I even go there, I have to say that there's another situation back with the first king, and that was Samuel's, Samuel's anointing, and that was Saul, who, by the way, he had kicked out all of the witches and all of that. It was sort of like, you know, Harry Potter's gone and whoever else and all Chicago. They're all gone. They're kicked out. But somewhere in all of it, he, he's, the Philistines are encroaching and he doesn't hear anything from God in his disobedience. God had already handed him his P45. He said, you are fired. And the guy's like, nah, I'll take the throne. I'll keep the, I like the hat. It fits me. The coat keeps me warm. You get the idea. He doesn't really want to step off. And then he wants to talk to God, and he's like, why aren't you talking to me? God's like, what I've already said you're not listening to, why do I need to say something new? So he goes to a witch, and he goes to a witch in Endor, and he tries to disguise himself. But here's the best part. The one trait we have, other than it tells us Saul was very good looking, was that he was really, really tall. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. So who do I? You go. Come here for a second. Shaq disguise himself in a village of pygmies. Figure it out. I mean, what does he walk on his knees? How does the guy ever think that, oh, they won't notice that I happen to like rock it over everybody else? And this guy goes, honey, I need you to do me a favor. Our son is sick, so pretend to be a pauper somebody really poor, you know, whatever the case is, and you're going to go and, and, and talk to the prophet who anointed me, who clearly hears from God, and you're going to go and ask him, what about our boy? Is he going to live? Now, understand, this is key. He seems to be the oldest boy because this is the heir. This is the king in, in training. Think about it. This is the guy that's going to take over. So what does she do? So she goes, okay, honey, I'll do it. So what does she do? She, she dresses herself down, if you will, and then notice what he says in verse 3. Then take also with you ten loaves, some cakes, a jar of honey, and go with him. And he will tell you what will become of the child. Now, here's already a problem, and that is poor people do not have ten loaves, some cakes, a jar of honey to take with them on places like that. So, I mean, in those days, those are really good things, especially that much of it. So, act like a poor person and then bring some caviar and some while you're at it. And just bring it, in, you know, there's kind of the idea. But don't miss this. He has chosen his idols over God. Are you with me on that? And as he's chosen his idols over God, why, isn't, why in the world isn't he asking them? 
He has to go to a prophet of the living God because he's a prophet of the living God. There's the problem. And for him to send his wife to do that, understand he's got to eat a lot of crow. Because what he has to say is, well, my gods can't heal my son. My gods can't even tell me if he's sick and how long it's going to last. And they can't tell me what's wrong with him in the first place. And you know, that's what God says. I kind of love the way God says stuff because sometimes he really does get cheeky. I mean, he's got to comfort himself somehow when people turn their backs and trade him in for something really, really dumb. And he goes, a guy goes into the woods and he cuts down a piece of wood. He splits it in half and he throws it half into the fire and the other half he shapes into this thing and he covers it with silver and gold and he has to nail it to something else so it doesn't fall over. And then he bows to it and goes, oh, you've been here forever. And God's like, hello? Does anyone get this? He goes, first of all, it has a mouth and it can't speak. It has ears that can't hear. It has a nose that can't smell. He goes, everyone that worships it's going to be like it. He goes, oh, and there's one other thing. If it doesn't work, how does he know he has the right half? And I do like that kind of joke. You know, God's like, he cuts him through half in the fire, and he's like, this ain't working. Oh, I threw the God half in the fire. I think that's kind of, I mean, God's like, do you realize how stupid this is? But understand, you become like what you worship. You want to worship power? You'll be, you will not care for anyone else because power doesn't care for anyone else. You want to be famous, and that's what you want to worship is fame? Get ready to step on a whole lot of people because you become like what you worship. But man, if you want to be kind and loving... Worship Jesus. Now, he's admitting now his, his idols are impotent. Don't worry, I won't do this with every verse, so you know, we'll be here until midnight. Take with you some loaves, honey. Honey, dress like you're not who you are. Act like a poor person. And take, take some really nice goodies with you. Butter them up with that. And then go, by the way, and imagine she has to come in and she's like, so uh, are you that prophet? Yeah. Can you check on, on uh, we have this boy and he's sick. Could you tell, well, who's the dad? Uh, well, you get the idea. Verse 4, Yeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahiah. But Ahiah couldn't see for his eyes were glazed by reason of age. Even a blind prophet can see she's trying to pull a fast one on him. Now, if you think that this, this guy's like, well, I'm totally going to get away. No, what that tells us is the disguise was kind of dumb anyways because he can't see. Right? I mean, so it doesn't matter what she dressed. She could have dressed like a goose. It wouldn't have mattered. He wasn't going to see her anyway. Now, the Lord had said to Achia, and mind you, that's the prophet, here's the wife of Jeroboam coming to ask you something about her son because he's sick. Thus and thus you shall say to her, for it will be when she comes in, she's going to pretend to be another woman. So it was when Ahia heard the sound of her footsteps, she came through the room. And imagine what that would be like. Because I, I, pardon me, but I just have such a, a visual memory. Uh, a vis- and sort of like, I see this in my head is her really working on this. She gets to the door and she's like, you know, she's been like, you know, doing the... But, you know, now she has it like she went from being elegant to be like, you know, you're okay, bro. No, she's, she's just trying to act like somebody that's not the royal. No, that would make sense. But imagine if that were the case. Imagine, if you will, that the problem is, is that Will and one of Will and Kate's children is ill, and he has to send Kate. And Kate has to pretend to not be Kate. How wild that would be. And she's like, yo, yo, what's up? All right, yo, oh, right. You know, excuse me. She's like, she's kind of working it out, trying to get it all going and stuff. She'd be like, Right? She's there. But notice how
how kind God is to nail her before anything happens. So it was when he heard the sound of her footsteps, she came through the door. He said, come in, wife of Jeroboam. She didn't get very far, did she? <laughs> I remind you, he's blind. That's the best part about it. Like, he may not be able to, to say it in her direction, but he knows, yo, I know, just stop it. You're embarrassing me. Come on in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another person? Notice it says, for I have been sent to you with bad news. Wait a minute. You've been sent to me. You can't get up and find your way through the room. Well, I'm sure glad you showed up because I have something to tell you. Go tell Jeroboam. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you. Notice God did the part first from among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. And yet you have not been as my servant David and kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart and did not do only what was right in my eyes. You've done more evil than all who were before you. You have gone and made yourself other gods, molded images to provoke me to anger. You've cast me behind your back. Therefore, look at it. He goes, I gave you all of this and I offered all of this and you dissed me on it. So therefore, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. I will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free. I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuse until it's all gone. Now, can you imagine what God's saying is, now look at, now some of you are from Mediterranean cultures and you know how important family is and you know how big of an issue it is for your kids. As a matter of fact, I really didn't understand the love of God until I became a dad. Because I, I mean, I've always thought, wow, how amazing it was that Jesus gave his life for me. And let's be honest, that's very true. But I've, I started to notice something after I became a dad. That is that God is constantly bringing it from the Father's perspective, not from Jesus's. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son. Who did that? The Father did. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation for our sins. And let me just say it this way. Conceivably, I could jump in front of a bullet for you. Conceivably, as a Christian, at least you just you have to deal with my family. But I'm going to stand before the Lord. But I do not love you enough to let you torture one of my kids to death for you. So you could be thankful I'm not God for a million reasons, and that's just one of them. And I realized, and took it till I became a parent to realize that's actually a greater love than just giving it yourself. No, not that Jesus didn't display infinite love. But there's something about that. And what God was promising Jeroboam was a legacy. Fruitfulness. And he's like, your disobedience has completely cut off your fruitfulness at the knees. Because, man, I really want to bless you. But I'm not going to bless you doing it your own way. Dogs will eat whatever belongs to Jeroboam. By the way, imagine it's like your kids, they're going to be ripped out of there like someone's happy when you removed all the poo from your house. Wow. Dogs will eat whatever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city, and the birds of the air will eat whatever dies in the field. The Lord's spoken. Now arise. Therefore, go to your own house, and when your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And they will, and all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he is the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. Now, don't you find this interesting? God's like, because I actually, because there's a little bit of decency in this kid, I'm going to do him a favor. I'm going to just kill him and let him come and be with me, because 
his life would really be miserable if he just hung out with you. And I don't want you corrupting him. Now, ladies, if a prophet just said to you, when you arrive back home, your child's going to die. Is there any part of you that thinks, all right, I'm moving here. I mean, to me, that's my first thought is, okay, well, I'm going to go find a messenger. Could you go tell my husband we move in? Because I don't want that boy dying. But this gal somehow just goes, well, all right, I'm going to go home. Pardon me, this is one of those moments I'm like, I really don't get that. But he says, moreover, verse 14, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel, unless she just didn't believe him. Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam even to this day. What? Even now. For the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. He will uproot Israel from the good land in which he gave to their fathers and will scatter them beyond the river because they've made their wooden images provoking the Lord to anger. He will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam who sinned, who made Israel sin. Now, there's an expression, and I would love for you to know it because it's used often. It's a Hebrew expression. It's only four words. Try these with me. First word is katsat. Try that. Now, this is Hebrew. You can't go katsat. Come on. Some of you got that Mediterranean blood in you. Katsat. Second word is po. Like the Kung Fu Panda. Po. Katsat po. Not bad. Third word, ma'od. No, so you're getting better. Fourth word, sham. So say this, kitsat po, ma'od sham. Kitsat po, ma'od sham. One more time, kitsat po, ma'od sham. Now, the idea is kitsat po, kitsat means a little to this day. Po means here, a little here. Ma'od means more. Sham means there. The idea was a little here, more there. Now, for instance, people go, I thought that the end of the world happened with Hitler. Isn't he the Antichrist? My answer is, to be honest, so was Nero. Nero was, he was very much like the Antichrist. He was, and the problem is, it's hard to imagine with Nero that there would be somebody weirder and nastier to the Jewish people than Nero was. And then Hitler came around. And for us, it's hard to imagine somebody nastier and weirder to the Jewish people than Hitler was. But Katsat Po Mo'ojam. The reason I say that is, he goes, let me show you Katsat Po. Jeroboam's house is going to get wiped out. By the way, Jeroboam will rule. Take a look at it. Can anyone tell me how long the number beside these men tell you how long they rule? According to that little chart, how long does Jeroboam rule? That was great. 41 years. And then he has a son. His son's name is Nadav. Do you see that? How long does Nadav rule? Yeah, two years. And then what happens to Nadav? He's murdered by Baasha. Do you get that? Do you kind of follow that? Now, we don't know where in the 41 years Jeroboam is. But somewhere in that, Jeroboam is going to have this first son who's obviously going to die once mom shows up. And then we have a second son, Nadav, who's, by the way, then going to rule two years, and he's going to be murdered by Baasha. You following me on this? And that's the end of Jeroboam, by the way. As a matter of fact, when Baasha actually kills him, he goes, is there anyone else in this family? Anyone else? Okay, all of you guys come here. Ay, ay! And he just kills them all. And he goes, and that was exactly what Ahia said. Of course it's going to happen. There's the idea. That's the little. He goes, but let me show you. That's the Ketzat Po. Does that make sense? Now let me show you the Me'od Sham. 
Mod Sham is, there's going to be a day when the entire nation is going to so turn their back on God, just like Jeroboam did, that they're going to be taken captive. Now, if you're going to be honest, this first, this Kitsapo is going to take place within the next two decades. But then this full captivity taken by Assyria will take place in the next two centuries, 200 years from now, to give you an idea. But since God's outside of time, it's not that big of a deal for him other than the horror of what's happening. Tiglath-Pileser III and the Assyrians are going to rip them out and take them away. Basically about 700 miles to what we know today as Iraq, to give you an idea. All right. Now, so let's see how it plays out. Jeroboam's wife, verse 17. She rose and departed and came to Terza. Terza, by the way, is a place of tremendous beauty. Song of Solomon 6.4 makes that clear. Three hours of traveling east of Samaria, which, by the way, and so the idea of it is, is it's going to be, she just basically goes to the spa. When she came to the threshold of the house, the child died. Shocker. And they buried him, and all Israel mourned from according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through his prophet Ahiah, the prophet. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he made war and how he reigned, indeed are they, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. And Jeroboam reigned for 22 years, and he rested with his fathers, and the Dav, his son, reigned in his place. Now, that's his epitaph. And I've got to be honest, we read through this quickly to kind of get a feel in all of this, but I, I just got gotta to say, when I look at this, what do I want my epitaph to say? He's like, let me tell you about Jeroboam. He was promised greatness if he would just obey. But he was a prodigal instead. He led the people away from God with a counterfeit. And he prophesied against as a result. He had problems with God and he had problems with other people that were God's people. And then he died. That was it. He was known as a guy with such promise, such potential. But instead he did it his own way. And as a result of that, he was constantly battling God and he was constantly battling God's people. What do you want your epitaph to say? Because you realize, if it's going to be honest, the life you live now is what's going to wind up on your epitaph. The choices you make now is what's going to end up there. You know, my kids have known since the beginning. I'm like, because I wanted, I, to be honest, this text impacted me so much when I first read it that I'm like, all right, I'm going to commit to actually knowing what in the world I want to say and then I want to live a life that's appropriate for it. I have two children. My oldest, believe it or not, just turned 20. I had her when I was 10. I'm just kidding. We know where liars go. And, and in that, I, they know... It's four statements. He loved his God. He loved his family. He loved his church. And he was never on Facebook. Those are my four statements. It's a true story. And my kids have been able to watch that. You know, the fourth one's easy. But the, they are, you know, and the, I'm like, hold me accountable because I want to live a life that you could honestly say that. And it's one thing to say, well, he was a fairly decent person. Listen, in Scotland, there is the there are these batches of churches called Covenanters churches. 
I had the privilege of going up there once with a man who actually would, I mean, though he's kind of a man, he's a Scottish, so he's kind of a manly man, you know, he's the kind of guy that throws telephone poles and, you know, wears plaid in his skirt and says, ah, why? Oh, you're wished. I mean, he's, he, he doesn't have a problem. Anyways, but he would cry over his people, and that shocked me. And he just so brokenhearted over his people, and then he took me to this church, this Covenanters church. He says, there was a time when the king of Scotland determined to be overseeing all of the, the church, but he was a pagan. And there were a lot, of course, who just did what people do. Of course, yeah, whatever, whatever you say, boss. But there were churches that were like, there's no way that our worship of God's going to be set, have a final say by a guy who's a pagan who doesn't even know him. And they became, they made a covenant with each other. People would meet, please hear me in this, people would meet in fields and freeze to death during worship services because they would rather do that than have someone else tell them how to worship God that didn't know him. I was like, and I went to this particular church and it, had, it was a tiny little church, roughly about the size of this room, and it had seven exits. And one of them was right behind the pulpit. And I'm like, I've had some friends. They really could have used that kind of exit. And, and they were like, the idea of it was when the army would come, they'd be able to scatter in every direction. So there was, you know, they'd have church and the people would, they would face in, except there was one row of people that would face out to look out the windows just in case they saw someone coming. And, but, and it was like this church had been built in the 1100s. But there was this plaque, and, and it was sort of a side note, but for me it was the most impacting part of it because I'm thinking, wow. And I'm already, my heart's already opening. You know those kind of things that touch you, and then now you're really impressionable to whatever's happening around you? Well, that's kind of the idea here. And I'm like so charmed by this and so impacted by this dedication and this commitment that is so lacking our culture that I was like, wow, could you imagine if anything like this could be seen? And, and I look over on the side of this wall, and there's this plaque that goes all the way back to 1100s. And there was this list of the people who had been clergy, the head clergy there. And it was like, you know, at first you just look at the names. It's kind of like Archibald. and I mean, names that you kind of like, well, of course that guy's from the 1100s. And, but then it was like, there was two lists. There was a list of names. Actually, there was three. It was a list. And then it was the years that they served. And then another list on the side of it. So three ledgers. So the first was, you know, sort of like Archibald the Excitable or whatever. And then it was a list. And then there were these things. And, and I started to read them. And one was like, wept much in prayer. Another was, would stay, would fast for days for his fellowship. I mean, and I just remember these things would be etched into my mind because I looked at all of these things. And I'm like, man, I, wow, would I love to be on that list. Then there was one name that changed everything. And that name, oddly enough, it was a shorter period of time, but it said deposed for simony. Do you know what that means? It means he was fired because he was charging people for something he should have been doing for free. He was, in essence, taking cash under the table for his religious services. So he got fired. But then every name underneath that was different. Now, they still had fun names. They still had dates. But on the other side of it, it said things like, memorized the book of Jeremiah by age 14. Had a doctorate in theology, you know, by, by this age. Everything from that point down, oddly enough, was about qualifications. The kind of things that look good on a CV. But everything above that line was about character. And let me just ask you, not that you forfeit one for the other, which list do you really want to be on the most? 
for me, there's no, there's no question to me. I mean, I can, you know, I remember when I memorized, I mean, this was the first book I memorized in English and in Greek. And, you know, you get all that kind of stuff. But in the end of it all, what difference does that make in comparison if all you get is the bottom list? The odd thing to me was, is that a guy broke character. And from that point on, it was like character didn't even matter anymore. For what we, and, and, and really, if you think about it, what was to the right was their epitaph. It was the kind of, this is what they know for it. And let me ask, what would it be? Always sharing the gospel. Quick with discernment in a problem. Slow to act. Wise in decision. What would it be? Would give you their full attention when you pour forth your heart to them. What would be the thing that would be your thing? That Jesus, in the facet of the infinite facets that make him, the one thing that people just go, that just seems like that's just pure Jesus, that particular thing. I mean, this part of you is cool and all and whatever, but this is just pure Jesus right here, this thing. Because that's what I want my epitaph to be, whatever this thing is here. Well, let me tell you about Jeroboam. In the end of it all, he was promised a great deal. He had a tremendous potential, but he was a prodigal. He was prophesied against as a result of it, and he had problems with God and with God's people as a result of it. Oh, he's known as the guy that told his wife to act not like his wife so she could go and get busted for it with, with all of her nice goodies. And then when she gets back home, the kid dies. Oh, yeah. Oh, I remember that guy. Okay, let's go through the... Okay, now, meanwhile, back in the camp. Second part's much quicker, but we get the idea. Now, we go to the left side of the, of the list. And now, does everyone see where Rehoboam is? So you don't get lost. Now we're actually with Solomon's son. Oh, by the way, for what it's worth, Baasha, I mean, I just, sometimes this is kind of fun to note, that this son, Nadav, Nadav, for, the, for what it's worth, is murdered by a guy that's name is Baasha. And Baasha means, you stink. That's what the name means. Offensive. Who names their child Baasha? Now, I have friends. I Actually, from this point on, I may actually want to call Baasha. But I just, anyways, I, just, I, just, I can't not tell you that. Okay. Rehoboam, verse 21. The son of Solomon reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years. Quick, how old is he when he dies? You're like, maths. Who made... Church isn't about maths. 58. Did you get that? Sweet. Somebody said it back there. Thank you. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city in which the Lord had chosen of the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And his mother's name was Naamah, the Ammonitess. Naamah, by the way, is the same derivative of the name Naomi. And what does that mean? Pleasant. That's what her name means, Pleasant. But she's in Ammonitis, which, by the way, is one of the people that would have sworn enemies of the living God. That's a little concerning. Now, you that did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy as well with their sins, which they committed more than their fathers had done. For they built for themselves high places, sacred pillars, wooden images on every high hill and every green tree. 
There were also perverted persons in the land. By the way, the word perverted is the word Kadesh. Very different from the word Kadosh. Though they sound exactly the same, the difference is a dot. That dot's key. This is why you got to wear glasses when you read Hebrew. Because Kadesh, in essence, means male prostitute. Kadosh means holy. And you don't want to get those mixed up. People don't go, male prostitute, male prostitute, male prostitute. You get the other. No. There were perverted people in the land. Now, this is what comes from... Now, understand, here's the odd thing. Though they were doing all of this, this is the product, I remind you, of Solomon's sowing. They did all of the abominations of the nations in which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. It happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem, and he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took everything away. He also took away the gold shields which Solomon had made. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captors of the guard, guarded the doorway of the king's house. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guards carried them and brought them back to the guard room. We don't even want him stealing our brass ones at this point. Now, before we close this with our last few verses, don't miss what's happening here. There is actually an interesting digression with Judah. And it kind of goes like this. It started with the idea of worshiping the true God. And then what happened is, is they started easing up on the way God ordained to be worshipped. One specific place, the temple. This is the specific way with sacrifice. So what they started to do is they started to branch out with what God had ordained. So that the idea is, oh, well, that seems very narrow-minded. Isn't that closed-minded? Let's start, let's add a little bit. I mean, after all, God's everywhere. So why don't we just do it on a green t- under a green tree? That's kind of nice. I mean, trees are made by God. That's cool. And let's go up on a high hill. After all, then you're like closer to God because you're nearer to heaven and you can feel the breeze and you can twirl like in the sound of music and sing to the Lord at the same time. Now understand, in the beginning, the idea was simple and that was we're convincing ourselves we're still being cool because it's all still to God anyways. But it's not the way God said it. But it was still cool because we decided to sort of rough up the edges a little bit. Kind of, you know, whatever. But then what happens is sooner or later, well, that opens the door. It's a gateway drug for the next thing, which at this point then is, well, then why don't we add a little bit of a giant phallus that's a post that everyone gets to dance around and do sick things, and that's the Asherah pole. And then then while we're at it, let's, in other words, let's, what we start to loosen up on next is in regards to the areas of our own personal convictions. Oh, come on. Sex before marriage. Everybody has sex before marriage. I know God says not to, but God's then and this is now. And we start preaching this really funky thing where it's like God's for saving, but the world is for fun. And then people are like, well, then why choose God now? You guys are losers. You should just wait till you're almost dead and then choose him then and then you get the best of both worlds. But that's not what we're preaching. Jesus said that whoever believes in him has, not will have, but has eternal life. Jesus came that we would have life and life more abundantly, not just then. The moment we say yes to him, he pours his Holy Spirit inside of us. We are sealed in him. A whole new life is lived. The old of us is crucified. The new of us is made new. And in that, it tells us in his presence is the fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And that's what he pours inside of us. You want to rip yourself off and actually think the world has better than that? Good luck. And I don't even believe in luck. So here's how it starts. Well, okay, so Jesus is the only way. Oh, that's going to be offensive. Okay, well, I tell you what. Let's just kind of ease up on that and say, well, Jesus is a way. He's a cool way. He's a real. I, he's, he's, he's my way. Might not be your way, but he's my way. 
And then we move from that to, well, there's all these other gods, but aren't they all kind of the same? I mean, so these guys call him this in Arabic, and these guys call him this in Chinese, but isn't he all basically just a big, fat, happy guy that hugs people? I mean, mean, okay, he had his mean time in the Old Testament, but now he's cute and nice. I mean, and then we, we, once we stop doing, I mean, we start just blurring who God really is, well, then it's like, okay, well, now we can ease up on those other convictions. Come on, be sober. Oh, come on, really? Oh, come on, really abstain? Oh, my goodness, really? I mean, really just a man and a woman at marriage? What is that about? And it loosens up. And then the next thing you know, you're dancing around this giant thing that, by the way, if anyone took your picture near there and sent it to your mother, you'd both pass out. And this is the product of it. This is the, now I want to remind you, that's the sowing. Here's the fruit. The first thing is the house of God is robbed. The second thing is your personal house is robbed. Then your public splendor is gone. And what you do in, in result of it is try to prop up the almost replacements. So you still kind of look like you got it going on. So the first thing is, well, I can't really go to church now because pff, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Oddly enough, the person wearing the mask is saying that to everyone else. Because, I mean, I can't go there because everyone else is a fake because if I'm really going to be honest, I'm a fake, and isn't everyone just me? So I bail on that. I can't invest. Oh, ministry, really? Come on. Then my own house falls to pot. Then it starts to show everywhere. So what do we do? Well, we don't have any gold shields anymore. Let's make fake ones. Brass. Brass is gold-ish. I mean, from a distance, who's really going to know the difference? Let's get the cool lighting. Do you guys have, like, good gold lighting we can fit into that? That would be good. Oh, and then I'm like, well, they might come back and steal those too. So you guys, when I leave, remove them. But when I'm coming, could you put them up so that I could actually think, oh, yeah, those are just the gold shield. I'm going to lie to myself to make myself feel better. And it happens to every one of us if we're not careful, beloved. So what's his epitaph? Verse 29, our last three verses. The rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. So Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. By the way, let me remind you, his mother's name was Pleasant, the Ammonitess. You need to realize this started in his house a long time ago. Solomon married a girl he should not have married. Well, we're going to be honest. Solomon married a whole lot of girls he shouldn't have married. I mean, look at, I don't know who in their right mind gets this high of an estimation of themselves. I mean, if, you know, a guy's like, well, look at, I have four wives, one for each season. Hi, fall. Nice to meet you. Spring. Good, good to meet you. It's still lame, but it happens. There are many places. Matter of fact, we get these places. I mean, we. We go to places like in Kenya, and there are whole tribes, warrior tribes, and then they come to Christ. And then it's like, what do you tell a guy like that? He's like, what do I do? I've got four wives. This one does the work. This one's my trophy wife. This is the baby wife. I'm not really sure what the fourth one does. But, but anyways, it's like, oh, how do you? Oh, anyways, it's a mess. And then they're like, they're like, it's like, well, I have seven, one for each day of the week. I'd like you to meet Tuesday. You know, I, I okay. I don't agree. Okay, 12. One for each month. This is October. Still weird. 
A thousand girls. I mean, how many girls before you go, are we married? Just check in. Have we met yet? Because you're cute and I think we're, well, everyone in my house, I'm married to everyone, right? I mean, that's how weird it gets. Well, I mean, so at this point, she's just another one of a thousand. Hey, you're one in a thousand, but she happens to be the mother of Solomon and that happens to be the mother of this king who this is what he watched growing up. He watched the guy that's supposed to, I mean, and imagine the story Solomon could tell you about his dad. And you should see this guy when he slew the giant. I mean, it was before my time, but man, you should have, the people would tell me and, oh, and the songs he would write. David would write these songs and he's like, one thing I desire. And that I'm going to seek after. Could we just live together, God, forever, starting now? And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, could they, could they be pleasing unto you? Could I just please you with that? Could you search me through and through again and again? And if there's anything even secret that I don't even know about, will you rip it out of me before it ever surfaces? Because, man, you should see my dad, the songs he would write. They'd bring you to tears. And then Solomon's like, oh, yo, yo, you want to hear my song? Starts with a girl going, oh, baby, your legs are like pillars. You the man, you the man, I'm the man. I mean, it's like the whole song is like, you, you're hot and I'll go anywhere to find you. Man, it's just like, seems like somewhere in all of it, the songs are a whole lot different. And this is the son of that. Well, Look in. Here's his epitaph. The rest of the acts of Jeroboam, Rehoboam, sorry, all that he did. Hey, they're written too. You can get that. There's war between him and Jeroboam all the days. There's Rehoboam the rebellious. But he was also Rehoboam the ransacked. Remember how they came and they took everything from the Lord's house and from his own. And then it was Rehoboam the restless. In the end of it all, he was constantly fighting with those guys up north. He was fighting with God's people too. You know why he was fighting with God's people? Because he was fighting with God. And you, you probably know this by now. If you have a real problem with God, you're going to have a real problem with his people. Now, you won't have a real problem with the fakes. I've learned that. You won't have a real problem with the compromisers and the prodigals. You won't have a real problem with that. But you'll have a real problem with somebody that actually looks like Jesus because you hate him. And if you're actually fighting Jesus and someone looks like him, you're going to have a problem with that. Here's the problem. My God died for you, sent his son, hung on a cross and was tortured to death to pay for your sins because he'd rather die than live without you. And as a father to watch all of that torture and then something in him and have to turn his eyes away while his son dies on a cross and split that unity that he's had forever as the sin of the world's laid on his shoulders just to get you and to get me. When Jesus begged the Father, if there's any other way, please don't let me go to the cross. How could I say there's another way? When the Father said, nope, no other way, go to the cross, son. How can I start spreading myself over every green, green under every green tree and over every green or every high hill? In the end of it all, you kind of notice both sides end up the same, don't they? They both end up in captivity. 
Because in the end of it all, they both trade gods. And God's like, look at my provision, my pleasure, my protection, my, my, my presence. I offer you all of that. Just trust me and follow me, please. I'll give you all of that. More than you can handle. Now look at tonight as we go to prayer. And we've gone through an awful lot. And we've gone through 31 verses of two different sides. And we've gone through a couple decades here with a couple kings. But in the end of it all, and I challenge you to do your math on all of this. Check the numbers we've given compared to the numbers that are in here. In the end of it all, what we've seen is, and you've seen this, you've seen people call themselves Christians with a tremendous amount of promise, fall to the wayside and become casualties. And, they, and you know, you fall off the cliff an inch at a time. Please just don't let that be you. Because I'm really tired of getting my heart broken by people who are really just de- devoted to their own destruction. The young man named Adam, and he was at the rehab house that we were at, and we watched him kind of slip an inch at a time. You try to speak to him at first, he was so into the word and he was so excited, and then somewhere he started backing off and easing off. And he it was always, you know, well, I have this thing. And it was always, you know, this isn't a bad thing. It's this thing. And he was, he was working out for a while, and then he was taking this online class. It was always something, but in it all, it was replacing the Lord. And then somewhere in it, all of a sudden, we're like, Adam's in the hospital. You need to go see him. And we run to Ladywell Hospital to the emergency room. And I run with one of the guys that's sort of a, you know, a lay leader, if you will, of that group. And I'm standing with this guy named Peter, and I'm going, bro, look at this. And we watched Adam die in front of us. Heroin overdose. And I'm like, Peter, learn from this. I know you have a weakness in this area as well. You've walked away from that. Learn from this. This was an inch at a time, and look at where it, look where it led him. And I kid you not, a week later, I'm at the very same bed, at the very same A&E, on this very same corner looking at Peter, there in the bed, and going, I don't believe this. And Peter made it but only by the grace of God. And there are people who are going to do really stupid things, and in the end of it all, they'll bear the scar and they'll come back. But there are some people, they're just not going to make it. Don't risk it, please. In the end of it all, I I wouldn't want the epitaph of either of these, would you? When they both had great promise. But let me say again, don't be deceived. You reap what you sow. What are you going to choose to reap? What are you going to choose to sow today that will ultimately be reaped all the way to your epitaph? It starts with saying yes to Jesus. And if you've never done so, I want to give you the privilege of saying, I want to give you the dignity to say yes to him tonight. But if you have, my prayer is a dangerous one. God, if I'm going to run from you, rip off my legs before I do. Because I'd rather. you pray with me? Lord, I recognize this is heavy. It's heavy for good reason. But Lord, I don't want tonight to fool myself like Rehoboam fooled himself to replace gold shields with bronze ones that symbolize judgment and then have them just brought and hung when he gets there so that he could somehow try to fool himself that that's okay, that everything's good. Oh, God, I beg you, please, no more heartbreaks like this. 
people that you stare into the eyes and see the hope and the passion and the excitement like a firecracker that burns so bright, but just for a moment. Like the seed that falls in a shallow soil. Sprouts up so quickly, but the moment persecution comes at your word, it just dies. And I pray that would not be said of any of us. So Lord, please, tonight, draw us close to you. And give us, Lord, those hearts that cling to you with everything because we love you. Out of response to a God who gave everything to be with us, we don't want to give anything to not be with you. To put anything between us when you moved everything away. Please give us that kind of commitment. Like a covenanter that is so determined to worship you the way you tell us. Not the way a king does. Not the way a man does, but the way you do in your word, how clear you make it. And that our epitaphs would be ones, Lord, that you would write. And you'd start writing them now, not as warnings, but as examples. And in this room and at the sound of this voice, if you've never said yes to Jesus or you're not sure if you have, the Bible says, if you're willing to confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised them from the dead, you'll be saved. It's a confession. And if that's you, and I don't even have to convince you, God's Holy Spirit's already doing that. If you're not sure, well then be sure. Pray with me now. Pray this prayer with me. God, in and of myself, I'm a sinner. I'm guilty before you. And you know that guilt separates us. But you so loved me that you sent Jesus to to take that sin, that guilt, upon his own shoulders and die on the cross in my stead. And when he did, he paid all my guilt in full. Just like scripture promised, he was buried and rose again on the third day and now offers me the same experience in this, that the old, guilty, slave of a human being that I am could die, be buried for good. And a new me could rise up free, filled, and under your lordship. So, if the only thing that is left is to say yes to the bill you've paid to your lordship, then I say yes. Declaring Jesus is my Savior and as my Lord, I'm yours. In Jesus' name. And if you agree with that prayer, give me a good Amen. God, you've heard our prayers. Cement that conviction in our hearts now. And thank you for the privilege of being able to be in your word. Continue your work that you've even begun here, we pray now in Jesus' name.